Thanks, Matt. Those are some great songs as we prepare our hearts for the Word of God and then also for communion here in a little bit. If you have your Bibles, make your way to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Uh, as we walk through this passage of Scripture, um, as we're walking through this book, uh, this letter that Paul wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. And I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So, here in chapter 2, so far, in a nutshell, those of you who haven't been here, Paul is pleading with this church of believers in Philippi. In the first four verses, he pleads with them to be unified in the gospel. The primary thing that all the church should be unified in, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what we are to be unified in. And we should have the mindset of Christ, verses 5 through 12, as we live out the very gospel that Jesus proclaims and that he lived out, the death, burial, and resurrection. We are to put on that mindset uh, in verses 5 through 11 and then this morning, or actually 5 through 11, shows us that Jesus is the perfect example of that. We're to follow him. And then our verses 12 through 18, Paul's going to now say, okay, I, I, I preached unity to you. I'm telling you why we should be unified in the gospel. Num uh, verses 5 through 11 is our example, Jesus. And now there should be an expectation for everyone who proclaims Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There should be an expectation for us. So we have exhortation, first four verses, that he's getting to our hearts. We have our example, that's Jesus, and now we have the expectation. See, what Paul's going to tell us here this morning is that all of us who proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have a responsibility not to just the church here that gathers, or throughout the whole world, anybody who proclaims to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
But we have a responsibility to the very culture that we live in. We have a responsibility to the church and to the culture. We know this because he transitions this, this text of Scripture with, in verse 12, he says, therefore. He says, therefore. In other words, there's an expectation now. I've told you what to do. Jesus is our example. Now, go. There's an expectation. So this morning, there's an expectation that God is working. And that's the title of the message, God at Work. Is God at work in you this morning? Well, we have six points this morning. Yes, six. Six ways you can tell that God is working in your life this morning, believer in Christ. So let's get right to it because, well, we got lunch. So the first thing that I want you to see, these expectations of the work of God in a believer's life. The first expectation we see found in the very first verse, verse 12, is that you would be working out your salvation. Working out your salvation. Look at the verse again. Therefore, here's the expectation, believers, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let me explain. Keep it right there on that verse. What is Paul saying here? Well, first, let me tell you, and this is important. We do not work for our salvation. That would be contrary to Scripture. Paul's not being contradictory to Scripture. We cannot work for our salvation, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, but a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we know that Paul is not saying to work for our salvation. He's not saying that we are to work toward our salvation. In other words, God only blesses us if we are completely obedient. No, what Paul says, and I want you to see this, Paul says, work out our salvation. What this means to a Christ follower today, and specifically to the church in Philippi, what Paul is saying is that we are to live out what we know to be true about our salvation. There is an expectation that through the work of God, that is your salvation, that that initial work of faith that God gave you, that you received when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that very work flushes itself out in a daily walk. So, so what Paul's saying here is, those of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you proclaim that you are saved by His grace. Consider that every day. The word work here, it's, it's a very interesting word. The word work means to work out fully at the point of finishing a job. The Romans used this word when they talked about working a mine. 
They would completely get everything they could out of that mine. They worked it to the bone. So what Paul is saying here then is followers of Christ, mine, mine the depths of your salvation. How precious is your salvation to you? How precious is it to you that you remind yourself daily that he died for your sins? That he rose from the dead for you? The expectation is, is that a follower of Christ continues to live in gratitude for the fact that they're saved. That is what working out your salvation means. Think about the depth of the fact that you are born again. That you are saved from your sins and that you have eternal life. Paul uses the phrase, when you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What, what Paul's doing here is he, he's, he's giving the emphasis on the fact that we should never take our salvation lightly. We shouldn't take our salvation flippantly. Like we, we really took it serious when we, we understood that he died for our sins. But other than that, I don't really think about it. What Paul is saying here is, think about it deeply every single day. When we contemplate our salvation, when the believers in Christ contemplate their salvation, they understand their depravity and the inability for us to save ourselves. To understand the price that Jesus paid. We just learned about it in verses 5 through 11. He died the most miserable death for you and I. The perfect Savior, God in the flesh, died for sinners. What Paul's saying is, is think and consider that every day. That's the expectation. The expectation of a follower of Christ that God is working in is that we don't forget what he's done for us. And we live our lives with that gratitude. But what does he go? He goes on and says, what are the expectations of this work of God? Look at the second one. Not only are, are we working out our salvation, but number two, we are working out our sanctification. Look at verse 13. And really, verse 13 should go along with verse 12. I could read them both, but let me just read verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love what John MacArthur said regarding this verse. He said this, the reason we can work out our salvation in verse 12 is because God has worked in us. Let me say that again. The reason we can work out our salvation that he talks about in verse 12 is because God has worked in salvation for us. See, the word work here 
It's a completely different word in the original language than what was found in verse 12. Verse 12 talks about the working meaning to, to like, like going in a mine and taking everything out. I mean, completely. I mean, you just, you dive the depths of how rich our salvation is. The word work here, found in verse 13, the word means the active and efficient effort. It's where we actually get the word energy. God works in those who call him Lord and Savior two ways. This is how God builds in his work to us. Number one, it says, God works in our will. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's what that means. God has to move our desires so that we can be aligned with his. We don't naturally, believer in Christ, we don't wake up saying, man, am I going to follow Jesus today? That's what this verse says. What the Bible teaches is that we must surrender our lives to the will of God and he gives us the energy to live it out. Do you understand what I'm saying? God works in our will. God moves our desires so that they can be aligned with his. This only happens to a believer in Christ. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he gave you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit teaches us everything that Jesus did. We are to surrender to his desires. That tells me God is working in your life. That tells me that God is working in my life in that he is moving my desires. If your desires haven't changed, believer in Christ, you need to question whether you're genuinely saved. Because the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, old things have passed, and he has become brand new. Now, is that a process? Absolutely. Does it mean you're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But your desires change because God is working. Secondly, you see in this verse, God works to make us act. Not only does he give us the desire to act by changing our desires, but now what Paul's saying is he also gives us the ability to change. Now to anybody who's sitting here thinking, well, what is that? What do I have to do then? Well, here's what you have to do. Here's how you know God is working in your life. All you have to do is surrender your will. So consider this. The next time you sin, which will probably be, I don't know, probably within the next 10 seconds, if you're like me, instead of saying, after you've sinned, God, I really want to obey you. What you should say based on these verses, God, I disobeyed you and I did what I wanted to do. 
I did not do what you wanted me to do. Will you please create in me a desire to do your will? And give me the strength to do it. That's how we should pray. Because oftentimes we think the Christian walk as this pulling up the bootstraps and thinking that every day I just got to obey God. No, but yes. No in that you can't do it. Yes, we do need to obey because we want God to do it through us. I know in our society and in our world, and even before I became saved, when God saved me, I, caught, I, I thought of religion and the relationship with God about all my effort and all my doing. And yet scripture, time after time, takes me out of the equation and puts Jesus at the forefront. And that's where he always has to be. God's desire is to empower you with a desire and the energy to obey him. He alone makes us willing and able. And why? Why does he do it? It says, for his good pleasure. God sanctifies us for our good, but ultimately he does it for his own glory. He wants us to think and do what he, what pleases him. And we can only do that when we surrender to him. That's how you know God is working on you. You want to know that God is working? You are daily surrendering to his work in your life. Verses 12 and 13 teaches us our reverence, our awe of God because of our salvation and our continually surrendering to his will in our life, that is the life that pleases God. Somebody who is a follower of Christ that considers the fact that they are saved by grace lives out that by grace. That is a life that pleases God. So how else? So we have this work of God. Not only go on to the next one. We see this working out of our salvation. Reminding ourselves of how grateful we are that we're saved. We have this working out our sanctification. That is that God is doing his work in us and through us. And giving the energy to obey him. Paul goes on to say the expectation of someone that God is working on. Is also working on their speech. Okay, ouch. Hang on for this one. You ready? Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So another way we allow God to work in us is to work on the sanctifying of our speech. Look at verse 14. Again, do all things without grumbling. Some of your translations say complaining uh, or disputing. Some of your translations say arguing. The word do there is another word that emphasizes a work. 
It is a command from God. The tense of the verb indicate, indicates that it's a job that you haven't completed yet. Can we get an amen? In other words, this means we got work to do. Every single day. Notice that this is a command that covers everything. All things. In the original, uh, it's emphatic. In other words, what that really means is what Paul says is, all things do without. All things do without grumbling and complaining. Paul does not say, try to work on your speech today. Or once in a while. When you feel like it. Grumbling and complaining is a low-toned muttering we do against God. The word literally, grumbling or complaining, the word literally means a secret displeasure in your heart. It is a discontent with the Lord that leads to criticism. Paul would say this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of you did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, same word, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. This is, by the way, back in Numbers when they were grumbling and complaining, the Israelites, on their way out of Egypt. And uh, God sent the serpent, sent the snakes to bite them, and they, all they had to do is look at the, 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 the serpent lifted up on the cross, and they would be saved, but they grumbled and they complained. Anyway, now these are the things that happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. God's Word teaches us that there are very few sins as ugly as complaining. James tells us in James chapter 5, do not grumble. Complain, same word. It's almost as if the church has a problem with this. And when I say the church, I mean the believer in Christ. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. By the way, if you want to know if you are a complainer or a grumbler, Here's a great test. Listen to how you use your pronouns. If you use they, or him, or her, instead of us, we, it's very likely you're a grumbler. Why do they do this? Why did they say that? What was he thinking? Where did she come up with that? So 
So why do we need to work on our speech? I mean, does Paul just throw this out here? Go back to the verse. Does Paul just throw this out here? No. The, the purpose of him throwing this out there is it's, this is a, 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 an example of the testimony of someone who God is working in. And speech is one of those things that God can work in if you let him. When we don't let God work on our speech, here's what grumbling does. What grumbling does is it tells us that we do not believe in God's sovereignty. We do not trust that everything happens for a purpose, even the mistakes. The Bible says that complaining or grumbling, it disrupts unity. And, and Paul has sharp words against that, has been bringing it up in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. The, basically what Paul is saying is what comes out of your mouth, the lack of unity, people are listening. And it's ruining our testimony. So let God work in your speech. Let God work in our speech. The next thing that I see. Not only working out our salvation, working out our sanctification, working on our speech, we also see this working on shining for Jesus. What do I mean there? Well, look at verse 15. So that. In other words, the so that is there because of the God working on someone's speech. Why does God need working on your speech? So that... You may be blameless and pure, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Verse 15 begins with that purpose clause, so that when we work, when we allow God to work on our words, we allow God to sanctify our speech it will result in this. You will stand out in the world. You will look different than how the world looks. You will start to shine brightly. Paul describes the world he lived in, which by the way is not much different than our world, is it? He says it's crooked and twisted. Some of your translations say crooked and depraved. The word crooked, it means bent or warped. Is our world warped? I knew I'd get an amen sometime. Yes, it's warped. Twisted, depraved. The word depraved there literally means perverted. We do not need anyone to convince us how warped and twisted a condition our culture is in. But listen to me. Our job is for God to work on ourselves, not for us to straighten out the world. Did you catch that? Our job is to allow God to work in us. 
not for us to straighten out the world. This verse tells me to shine in the darkness. Be a testimony. Lights are only valuable in the dark. Brothers and sisters, it's a dark world. How are you shining? I loved living out at Runnels when we lived out there. We lived on an acreage. And when, one of the things I loved about living out there is when we, when we would go out in, at, when it was nighttime, when it was super dark, it seemed as if the stars show, uh, shone so brightly out there. Remember, we'd just look up and be like, wow, I didn't know there were this many stars. Why could we see the stars so brightly? Because it was dark. When we moved into the city, it's really hard to see the stars as brightly. We shine the brightest in the darkest of communities. So how bright are you shining? Is God working? Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, he would say this. He would say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. When people see Christians born-again followers of Christ, complaining and arguing in the church, or when they observe our anger towards others in the culture, they're frankly not very interested in Christianity. But when we shine the light of Jesus in our lives, they will be attracted to the sun. It's easy, it is so easy for some of us to get so fired up on moral issues that we forget about the friends, the neighbors, those that are not followers of Christ who are living in the crooked and depraved generation and they're looking for an example. Peter would tell the church this in 1 Peter. He would say, he would say keep your conduct among the unbelievers, the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Is God at work in your life? So that you are shining so brightly in a dark world that those that God is working on, they will be drawn to you. But does, but does just a moral, good, living a good life, is that, that going to save somebody? No. That's why the next work has to be done as well. And that is, look at number five, working on studying God's word. So after your, your desire should be an attitude and a, a desire of God working so that I can shine brightly for Jesus so that they might come to me and ask me what's different about my life. Well, chapter, uh, point five, verse 16 tells us the answer. Paul writes, holding 
fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So this working on studying the scriptures, why? When our lives are, are, are lights unto people, what Paul is saying is, is they are more likely to listen to your words. Let me say that again. If you are living for Christ, people will be more likely to listen to what you have to say. If we live hypocritical lives, non-repentant lives, in other words, we're all sinners here, but if we don't choose to repent and follow Christ, we're not giving them an example. And so what Paul's saying is, okay, if you are going to shine for Jesus, then guess what? People are going to start coming. Because then you'll have something to share. The phrase hold fast, it literally means to offer something. The picture is that the person who is shining brightly is holding fast. In other words, they have something to offer. So Paul is saying what you have to offer them is God's word. Because you are living a life that is pleasing to God, someone who is surrendered to God's work, then you will have something to say. And you point them to the word of God. Paul uses the word labor twice, implying that once again, that this is not just passive. In other words, we don't just let our lives bright, shine brightly that's not our only work. The idea here is that we are not only living our lives and shining our lives, but we're also telling people about it. Meaning specifically telling people about Jesus and how he's changed your life. You're not telling people how good you are. You're telling people how good God has been to you. You have something to share. Paul makes it clear that he does not want to labor for nothing. If all of the church of Philippi continues to gripe and moan and grumble, Paul says his efforts are completely wasted. That's how serious it is that God is working in the church. So we got one more. Hey, I got through six points. Oh, praise the Lord. Working out our salvation, working out on our sanctification, working on our speech, working on shining for Jesus, working on studying God's word, and then finally working to be a sacrifice. And I say, when I say working, understand what I mean here. God working in you. God working on you to be a sacrifice. Look at verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul has poured himself out for these people that he loved. 
spending everything that he had to further their faith in Christ. Notice how he links both sacrifice and service. God wants us to be sacrifices first and then secondly serve. Do you know why? He doesn't want our occasional acts of service. Instead, what he's saying is, I demand your life. You want to be a person that God is working? Give him your life. Not just your, oh, temporary acts of service to get what? Your brownie points from Jesus? You want to make sure that someone doesn't think you're not a Christian? Better do some good things. No, what Paul is saying is, if you want God to work in you, your life is a sacrifice. And it's a worthy one. Paul said it was worthy. He was wanting, likewise, that they also would see how great it is to give your life as a sacrifice. Even if that meant death. By the way, Paul would say the same thing to the Corinthian church. He says to the Corinthian church, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Follower of Jesus Christ, have you really sacrificed your life? Have you poured out your talents, your treasures? Really? Have you really sacrificed? Because if you have, I guarantee you, you are some of the most rejoicing, joyful people. Paul's saying, you want God to work in your life? Sacrifice your life. And it's the greatest thing you can do. God wants to work in us and through us for his glory. Look at all of them again. Is God working? Is God working, follower of Christ? Here's the expectation. Paul says, here's the expectation of someone who professes Jesus as their Lord and Savior and says, God, here is my life. You're grateful. You want to share with people your salvation testimony. You're not afraid. You're not embarrassed. You want God to take sin that is ensnaring your life and you want to have his desire You want God to weed out some of those sins. You want God to help your speech. You want to shine for Jesus. You want to share His Word. And you want to be a sacrifice. Listen, the greatest work for some of you here this morning, the Bible says in John that Jesus says, the first work that must take place for every follower of Christ is the work of belief. 
You can't earn your salvation. Jesus says, you want to do the work of God? Believe in God. What does that mean? That means that you repent of your unbelief. You repent of your thoughts on how you think you're getting to heaven and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That he died for you. That is the number one work that God installs, instills in someone who comes to know him. Is he doing that in your life this morning? Your response is to repent and believe. As we go to the communion table, it's a great opportunity for those of us who know Christ. And, and I, I say this again, this table, the communion, the Lord's Supper, is only for those who have proclaimed Christ as Lord and Savior. It is not for those who are considering it. The Bible says you are doing a mockery to this table because you lack that faith. So skip it. But then I would ask you, why are you skipping it? Consider your salvation. But again, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we hold that bread and we remember that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, a life we could never live so that he, the God-man, could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We hold that bread and we recognize how ugly our sin is that put Jesus on that cross. It should cause all of us to consider right at our seats sins that are easily ensnaring us that we need to let go and allow God to change our desires and give us the ability to walk away from those. That should be our prayer as we consider that bread. And then we hold that juice and we recognize again that Jesus' perfect, sinless life does not save us. Jesus' perfect, sinless life, along with his sacrificial death and resurrection, is the reason we have hope. We hold that juice. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus had to die. And that shows us how ugly our sin is. We hold that juice and we are in great in gratitude for what Jesus did. And his resurrection declares that the Father took his, sick, uh, took his sacrifice for us. This is a great opportunity, follower of Christ, to remember what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you for the reminder that, Lord, you desire to work in us. And, Lord, what a great work it is. We are so grateful that you don't only just save us, that you work in us and through us. And, Lord, we just thank you. May this opportunity be truly that an opportunity to reflect on what you have done so that you would get all the glory for our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At this time, they're going to play a song, and you come up, grab your elements, go back to your table, and then we'll commune together.